0: Good morning. Please turn with me into your Bible to Luke, chapter 23, verses 26 through 48. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say... Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us, for if they do, these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, and when they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified him, and the criminals, criminals, one on his right and one on his left, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There were also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we need justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was not, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtains of the temple were torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw it had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent, and all the crowds have assembled for this spectacle. When they saw what had happened, returned home, beating their breasts.
1: Good morning. Pray for God's blessing on the reading and the preaching of his word, and I'd invite you to open your Bibles to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Stories in one form or another have an important place in culture and society everywhere in the world. By stories, we explain where we came from. We explain who we are. Stories explain what we value. Stories can tell where we want to go. I've met very few people who don't enjoy a good story. You can stand around the auditorium or in the foyer after church, and there's lots of stories being told. And I think of all the stories that we hear, we probably enjoy the true ones most of all. Well, this morning for the lesson, I want to tell a story. It is not the Christmas story. And it is not the Easter story. I want to tell the true story this morning, the gospel story. The story of the greatest life that was ever lived. And I hope when we're finished, especially if someone has never heard the story, that you will understand why the life in this story is indeed the greatest one ever lived. We're going to trace this story through the Gospel of Luke. So please have your Bibles open and please follow along. And if you don't have a, a handout, of outline, uh, we have some more available. If You'll just let VJ know. We begin in the last years of the first century B.C. It is the time of Herod the Great, king of Judea, who is more interested in building great buildings and maintaining his relationships with Rome than he was in being a good king for his people. In the temple of God in Jerusalem, there is an elderly priest named Zechariah. He is given a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity To offer the incense in a service. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth are upright people in the sight of God. They are true Israelites. They are what God had always wanted his people to be. The covenant people that he hoped all of them would be. There was a great sadness in their life because Elizabeth was barren. They had no children. And so on that day, as Zechariah approached the altar, an angel named Gabriel suddenly stood to one side of the altar. Gabriel had been sent to Zechariah from God with a message of good news. God had decided to give them a son. Look at verse 13 through 17. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in spirit and the power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah hears all of this and he finds it hard to believe. And when he expresses his doubts to Gabriel, Gabriel takes away his ability to speak and he will not speak until all of it comes to pass. To the north of Jerusalem in the city of Nazareth lives a young woman of marriageable age, a virgin named Mary. Six months after his visit to Zechariah, Gabriel comes to Mary with another message, a message from God. And he says to her in verse 30, beginning in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And like Zechariah, Mary is stunned. How can this be? How how can I have a child? I'm not married. And Gabriel explains in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And so it begins. And so the story of the greatest life ever lived begins. In time, Elizabeth gives birth to a son. And she and Zechariah name him John as the angel directed them. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And Luke says he lived in the desert until the beginning of his public ministry. And then in her time Mary too gave birth. Look at chapter two, beginning in verse one. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should take place should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of syria and everyone went to his own town to register so joseph also went up to the town from the town of nazareth in galilee to judea to bethlehem to the town of david because he belonged to the house and line of david he went there to register with mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child and while she they were there the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn a son And she wrapped him in strips of cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing. That has happened, which the Lord has told us about. As the story continues, Luke tells us that Joseph and Mary obeyed all that God commanded for sacrifices and circumcision for a firstborn son. That's chapter 2, verse 21 to 40. Warned by an angel, they go to Egypt to escape the murderous intentions of Herod, as Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 1. But in time, they return to the land of Israel, and they settle in Nazareth. We only know one incident from the years of Jesus growing up in in Nazareth. When he was 12 years old, he and his parents went to Jerusalem to keep Passover. And when Passover was over, Mary and Joseph start home, unknowingly leaving Jesus behind When they realize that they begin to search from him, and it is three days before they find him. And when they find him, he is in the temple. And when they ask him what he's doing, he says, I'm in my father's house. I'm doing my father's business. And what he was doing was sitting there listening to the teachers and asking questions. And Mary and Joseph and Jesus head home to Nazareth. And all we know of the beginning of the greatest life ever lived is found in verse 51 then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them but his mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men 18 years go by silent years years of preparation These are difficult years. These are painful years for God's people. These are years of tyranny and oppression, of burdensome taxation, of ruthlessness from the Romans who ruled them. The birth of John and the birth of Jesus had plenty of witnesses And we can't help but wonder if in the homes and synagogues and shops and marketplaces, if there weren't countless conversations about what had happened. And endless speculation about what would happen next. Was God about to visit his people? Was God about to do something to relieve their sufferings? The years passed by. And then suddenly, chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. And so John came. And as he came, he began to preach and he began to call God's people back to God to repentance, to prepare their hearts because a great one was coming. Some of John's words were hard to hear. It wasn't as an easy message to receive. Look at chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. But the people came. They came to hear John, and they kept coming, and they kept coming. And then one day, Jesus himself came. And he presented himself to John and asked John to baptize him. And after his baptism, when he was praying, the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And his Father in heaven spoke. Chapter 3, verse 22, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And so the greatest life ever lived had the blessing and the love of his heavenly Father. And so from the water of the Jordan to the wilderness of Judea, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus to be tempted by the devil. The temptations last for 40 days, and Jesus is without food. And the challenge of the temptations is a challenge to whether Jesus is truly the Son of God. And the devil challenges him to prove that. If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus refused. He refused with words of Scripture. Then the devil tempted Jesus to change his loyalty. Worship me and and all the kingdoms of the world will be yours. And again, with the words of Scripture, Jesus refused. And then for a third time, he tempts Jesus. If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. Your Father will save you. They were standing on the highest point of the temple. But once again, Jesus refuses. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so... The devil is defeated. And Luke says he left Jesus until a more opportune time. Now when will that time be? What will it be? And what temptation will Jesus face? And so with baptism and temptation sharpening him, Jesus is fully prepared to begin the ministry that he came to earth to do. He comes to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And word of Him is found on every tongue. He teaches in synagogues. And when people hear Him teach, people begin to praise God for what they are hearing. He heals people and He casts out demons. God is doing mighty things among His people. And in this early morning of His earthly work, Jesus returns to his childhood home. Luke chapter 4 verse 16 tells us about a pivotal moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. It tells us of his return to Nazareth and how it was no ordinary homecoming. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. The men who sat on the synagogue seats that Sabbath were his playmates, his acquaintances. The old men had been his father's friends. The synagogue service, that Sabbath, proceeded as they always did. And they came to the moment in which the scriptures would be read. And Jesus stood up. And the scroll of Isaiah is handed to him. And he unrolls it and he reads verse 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The reading done, he rolls the scroll and hands it back to the attendant. And he sits down. And what we ought to appreciate is that those words touch a special place in those people's hearts. And in every heart, there is a longing for these words to be fulfilled. But the synagogue is silent. And every eye is fixed on Jesus. And He waits. And finally, verse 21, today, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, I am the Lord's anointed who has come from God to do these things. Now, the synagogue is in a state of shock. I don't know what to do with this. They, they, they can't grasp what he has said. And at first they speak well of him. Good old Jesus. Oh, Joe would be so proud of his son. And then it hits them. Yeah, this is Joseph's son. Why is he speaking such things? Why is he saying such things? And their anger begins to mount. And Jesus understands what's in their hearts and and he just exposes them. What you're really hoping is that I'll do a few miracles like I've done in Capernaum. And then he reminds them of some Bible lessons. You know, Elijah was sent to a Gentile woman in Zarephath. God didn't send him to any of the widows of Israel. And Elisha gave healing and cleansing to a Gentile named Naaman. And there were lepers in Israel that didn't receive that blessing. And the anger mounts. And all those people who have known Jesus since he was a child. Decide they're going to throw him off the cliff. I know i preach things sometimes that have angered me, but I've ne- angered people, but I've never been afraid you'd throw me off the cliff. But that's what they were going to do, and they take him out. And Jesus passes through the crowd, and he gets away. But what's so important about this chapter, about this scene in the synagogue in Nazareth, is that from this moment on, Jesus will spend every day of the rest of, Of his earthly life. Fulfilling the ministry that Isaiah had prophesied for him so long before. With the spirit of the Lord upon him. He is going to preach good news to the poor. He's going to tell them that the kingdom of God is at hand. And that the kingdom of God is open to them. And it is for them. He announces freedom for prisoners. He gives sight to the blind. He lets the lame walk. And those who are oppressed, who are beaten, who are downtrodden, who count for nothing, He gives release and relief. It is the year of the Lord's favor. And those of us who know our Old Testament know that means that it is the year of jubilee. That is His coming is jubilee. When debts are canceled and sins are forgiven and new beginnings with God are possible, it is the year of the Lord's favor. And so as Jesus goes on, he meets people who are sick. And no disease can resist him. He heals them. He meets others who are in the grip of Satan. And Satan can't hold them when he demands that he he release them. To those who are outsiders, to those that are nobody, to those that are counted as worthless, he came with a message that God loved them. And that God cared about them. And that God wanted them to be close to him. He sat down to meals with tax collectors and prostitutes. He touched the leper and made the leper clean. And he forgave sinners. And Luke tells us something that I don't believe any other gospel tells us. But it's one of the most precious phrases in all of the gospels. Luke says, and the common people heard him gladly. He was good news. And the common people heard him gladly. The greatest life ever lived was live for God, and it was lived for others. Of course, all those things brought conflict and rejection as well. The religious leaders could not understand what was happening, but they knew they didn't like it. Why would a prophet, a teacher, Associate with such people, and if that wasn't bad enough, Jesus challenged their claim to be right with God. While he faithfully obeyed the law of Moses, he wouldn't keep their traditions. He didn't observe their traditions of the Sabbath or abide by their ideas of righteousness. And notice what Luke says in Luke chapter 9 in verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And with that, Jesus begins the long road to the cross. Along the way, he continues to heal and to cast out demons. He teaches people about being good Samaritans, about being merciful to those in need. He talks about a shepherd who looked for a lost sheep, a woman who looked for a lost coin, a father who looked for lost sons, about God and his love and his grace. The conflict between Jesus and the religious leadership intensifies until at last Jesus comes to Jerusalem where the greatest life ever lived faces its greatest trial. Turn toward the end of the gospel to chapter 19. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and he begins the last week of his life, and he does so in triumph. Luke 19, verse 28. As he approaches the city of his father David, his disciples begin to rejoice. Oh, they praise him with great joy. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Just like was sung at the announcement of His birth. Jesus' enemies are outraged at such praise. And they demand that it stop. Jesus comes once again to His Father's house. But this time, He is not there to ask questions. And He is not there to listen to the teachers. He comes to judge. He comes to cleanse it, to purify it. Because for one last week, for one last week, God will be present there. And God's Son makes it possible for all to come into the presence of God by cleansing the temple. Passover crowds swell larger and larger. Jesus spends his days in the temple teaching He spends the night on the Mount of Olives. The priests and the scribes so very much want to destroy him, but they can't because they're afraid. They're afraid of what the people will do if they lay a hand on Jesus. But at long last, Satan finds his more opportune time. He enters the heart of Judas, one of the twelve. And Judas agrees to betray Jesus into the hands of his enemies. The day of unleavened bread comes, the day when the lambs of the Passover are offered. Jesus has a final meal with his disciples in the upper room. He leaves a meal, a simple meal of bread and fruit of the vine to remember him by, to represent his body and blood. There is just time for prayers on the Mount of Olives. One more time on his knees in the garden chapter 22 verse 39 to 46 And when the prayers are concluded Jesus comes Judas comes with a band of soldiers to arrest him He approaches Jesus and he kisses him and he betrays him betrays the greatest life ever lived Jesus is taken to the high priest for trial And when his trial is proceeding, Jesus is betrayed again. Because three times, Peter, who swore he would give his life for Jesus, denies Jesus three times. I don't know him. I'm not one of them. I don't know him. And the trial continues. And now Caiaphas asks the most important question of all. Are you the Son of God? Are you the Son of God? And Jesus answers, chapter 22, verse 69 and 70, You are right in saying, I am. Those words are true. That is exactly who Jesus is. And in the mind of this high priest, they are enough to condemn Jesus. It is what they've been hoping for. All that remains now is to get Pilate to carry out the death sentence. And with a crowd and pressure tactics to force the governor's hand, the ruling council gets exactly what it wants, a crucifixion. In our reading, which Taylor did so well for us this morning, we heard what happened next. How terribly Jesus was treated, how he was nailed to a cross. How in the sixth hour he dies. A little later, the body is removed from the cross and wrapped in linen and placed in the tomb which belonged to a disciple named Joseph of Arimathea. For every other human being who ever lived or who would ever live death and the grave is the end of this earthly story, except that this is no ordinary life. This is the greatest life that ever lived. And that life is so great that death itself is changed forever. If everything ended in the tomb, we wouldn't be here this morning. If everything ended at the tomb, we would have no hope. We would have no forgiveness. We would be lost for eternity. But we praise God because the tomb was not the end. Three days later, some of the women who followed him came to the tomb in the hours before dawn They came to do one final act of service for their Lord. They came to make the final preparations of his body for burial. And when they get there, they find that the tomb is empty. They find that the body they expected to find is not there. What they find are two angels dressed in brilliant, bright white clothing. And they give them the greatest news that could be heard. Look at chapter 24. Look at verse 5 and 6. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee. Remember. He is not here. He is risen. He is alive. God has raised him from the dead. And Jesus spent the next 40 days with his disciples. And before he ascends to the father, he takes the mission that he came into the world to do. And he entrusts it to the disciples that in every nation they will preach repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name. That's the story of the greatest life that ever lived. It is life, a story that continues because Jesus is alive. But why is the life of Jesus the greatest life that was ever lived? Well, it was the greatest because it began with the costliest gift that God ever gave humanity, the gift of his own son. It is the greatest because it was lived out in humble, loving service with only care and concern for others. Because its purpose was to tell people that God loved them and wanted to save them. It was the greatest life that ever was because it was laid down in sacrifice for the sins, not of one person, but for every person who ever lived or whoever would live. He bore the penalty of every sin when he died on the cross. It is the greatest life ever lived because God raised him from the dead and took him to glory where he reigns forever. Oh, no doubt, we can think of lives that are great. Names like Abraham Lincoln come to mind. Nelson Mandela, other names. But not one of them is as great as the life of Jesus. And not one of them had As much impact on humanity as did the life of Jesus. No other life can give eternal life except the life of Jesus. And so in obedience to our Savior, we proclaim just this this morning. We proclaim good news. That Jesus, God's Son, died on the cross for our sins. He was raised from the dead for our eternal lives. Believe this good news Repent of your sins and confess your faith and be immersed for the forgiveness of sins. And if you've done those things and you've wandered away from God, your father loves you and he wants you to come back. He wants you to come home and the blood of Christ is still available to cleanse you. And so in the name of Jesus this morning, we invite you to come. Come to the Savior, to the greatest life that ever lived, that that life might be in you that that life might be yours. Won't you come while we stand and sing?